0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Leadership Redefined. Um, we are thrilled to have a very special guest today, uh, a friend of mine and uh, someone I've worked with for a number of years now, right, Rick? Um, yeah. Uh, Dr. Rick Guiteau. I'll let you fill in all your information with your multiple titles you have. Of, right. of course, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to uh, welcome back uh, Dr. Rich Bernardo as well.
1: Welcome, Rich. My pleasure. Always a pleasure.
0: Um, and we're really you know, thrilled to be able to kind of uh, here, um, one of the, the uh, more innovative leaders in higher education today. Rick, you want to tell a little bit about your background and uh, and then you will we'll get to some questions and hopefully a sure. great conversation.
2: Great. Well, uh, thanks a lot for the opportunity today. So, uh, so as I uh, mentioned, I'm Rick Gatto and I currently work at Stony Brook University and I serve as the interim vice president for student affairs and dean of students. Um, it's it's a dual role, which I actually love because it's a chance to have, I'd say kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of the whole enterprise of student affairs at the university. We have 26,000 students here. And also as the Dean of Students, have a lot of day-to-day contact with students and, and really be an important student advocate. But my career in higher ed spans about 25 years and I've been in uh, residential life for a large part of it and then in academic advising. And over my time at Stony Brook, I've been involved in a lot of our retention and graduation initiatives since that's been really a big part as if higher ed's landscape yeah. of looking at really the value of higher ed and so hopefully um, as I share some remarks today I can share a little bit my thinking in higher ed kind of where we're going and, and the critical part of leadership in higher ed.
0: Great great and you also I don't know if, did you mention your uh, higher ed ad, admin program? No I'm
2: sorry I'm being <laughs> neglectful so um, in 2011 we actually started at the university a master's degree program in higher education administration and it's been an absolute joy to work with that program and uh, it's an online and face-to-face master's degree we offer and, and i think it's been great in adding so much um diversity in terms of staff and perspective to not only stony brook but the higher ed field uh in at large
0: yeah i know i i teach in that program and it's uh it's, it's, uh, very insightful hearing what's going on in other institutions, hearing from either aspiring or current higher ed ad, ad admin. Um, and it's, I could speak to the quality of the program. It's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing Thanks. program. You can tell by the, the class of students that comes in and, 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 and exits the, the program. So. Uh, so uh, uh, the question we usually lead off with, Rick, and again, it could kind of, I, I really want to get into, you know, sort of an organic conversation with you about uh, your thought process overall with leadership. But if you could sort of define your innovative leadership in higher education, um, and again, uh, talk about the space in general, because I don't know that everybody understands the higher ed space as well as you do. Um, so sure. if you kind of define it in innovative leadership, what you do to Sort of support that and and kind of the 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 overall um, uh, dynamic of higher ed leadership uh, in general.
2: Sure. So maybe I'll start by giving a little bit. I think of the higher ed landscape, and I think over the last few decades, it's certainly changed a lot. And if, if I did maybe a quick compare to the K to twelve arena versus higher ed, I think higher ed is actually becoming more under the microscope than ever before. I think similar to where K to twelve has been in terms of whether you're following you know, local or state requirements Um, in higher ed. I would say when I went to college, you know, almost three decades ago, uh, colleges, you know, kind of ran themselves. And the idea was you had a lot of individual freedom. And I think as time has gone on, and you've seen obviously in the media these questions about what's the value of a higher ed degree, Um, what's the point of higher ed? Why does it exist anymore? Um, Looking at at, the idea of credentialing and what are the pieces that you need to have to be successful? Um, This this question of parents and students about outcomes in terms of, will I have a job and will I make money? I just think higher ed has been, I would say over the last decade, it has been turned on its head and that external pressures on higher ed have never been greater. And so in terms of the role of a, of a leader, I think if you asked me the question 20 years ago, it may have been, you know, you live within the bubble of the of the community in which you run your higher ed institution without these external pressures. And nowadays it is being a leader, I think, requires you to manage both internally and externally. Uh, sometimes it's probably maybe trying to, to hold some of the external pressures at bay because you know the work you need to get done. Um, but in my world, the word compliance, unfortunately, has become a much larger part of my daily vocabulary than I probably want it to be. Um, but those are some of the realities that we're facing. And so leaders today have to be able to adapt and be able to be adept at managing these, these, you know, multiple stakeholders involved.
0: Now, you, you said there, mentioned a couple of times those external uh, pressures, Rick, and is it mainly compliance? Is it um, adhering to kind of that global competitive market too is it is it a combination of those things and other things you might think of
2: right so i so i mean i think one of the pieces comes down to value of the degree and so if you look at anything on the web it talks a lot about now about the financial investment that families need to make or the loans that they're taking questioning whether or not there is a return on that investment so i think there's a real practicality of the dollars that you spend and what you're actually getting in return for that investment. So whereas maybe years ago, I would say maybe when I went to college, it was the notion I'm going to argue of learning for learning's sake. You went to college, you become more educated and and the plan was, yeah, you're going to do fine. But now I think there's this interest in this. And I don't think this this is even realistic to look at this linear pathway of saying, I have this credential in hand, which will pay me X amount of money in return. It's just, I don't think it will ever work that way, but there's an interest in wanting to see that that connection. So the value of the degree is certainly one important part. I'd say the other pressures that I've seen, and maybe related to that, is a huge focus on graduation rates in college. So looking at the entering group into college and who finishes in four, five, and six years, um, that's been always certainly a part of when colleges have U.S. News and World Report rankings. There's a percentage of that ranking that's related to graduation rate, so it has always been there and that's been in a six-year time frame but there's been a lot of pressure on higher education institutions and so what's been happening is there's this a link so in new york state for example uh students who receive tap the tuition assistance program money it used to be a much more flexible way of, of getting money to students who needed it to succeed now there it's much more rule driven in terms of saying you must do x y and z in order to get that money so so it's kind of holding, I would argue, the carrot of saying, we're not gonna give you state money unless you follow these rules. And so schools have had to adapt to that and make sure their curriculum and other requirements are are in line with what students are doing so they do finish it. Because if a student doesn't get that aid they need, they likely wouldn't be able to stay. So there have been some carrots thrown at higher education to say, you better do this or you're not gonna get the money your students need to graduate. So pr- high pressure on graduation rates. The other thing I wanted to comment on is related to federal laws around issues of Title IX, um, sexual harassment and assault, um, alcohol and drug use, a lot of, and I think good interest externally to say, higher ed, we wanna make sure you are doing everything you can to educate your students and to, in essence, stop bad behaviors from happening. Um, I do think that some schools have maybe been unfairly put under the microscope as if they've kind of tried to sweep away some of these issues. I know at Stony Brook, we take the issues very seriously, do everything that we can be as proactive as possible, um, but that's been another pressure on higher education. And I would say also given changes in um, leadership at the national level about how schools are to interpret policy, and that's been a challenge even then brought down to the campus level to make sure that we're being in line with national you know, state and federal laws, but those also are also open to some interpretation and, and continual changes.
0: Uh, given that Rick and, and rich, I'd love you to jump in too yeah. okay,
1: forward to it, yeah.
0: given given that are uh, d- are the conditions sort of there to innovate in higher ed is it still i know you are doing it with some of the programs you're running but are is it still possible at this point with the political climate with the compliance piece with a lot of these uh, external pressures you're talking about, is it possible and if so uh do you have you know examples of how it is possible whether it's in your own space or in um, universities um around that you've heard of that to innovate
2: yeah is it me you're asking Al?
0: yeah yeah
2: Yeah. sorry so so i mean it's a real it's a really good question because to your original point about what does innovative leadership look like i think it is it is requiring you know, administrators, professors, uh, you know, everyone in the, in the higher ed realm to look at how we are A, spending our money to make sure it's being spent wisely, because in many cases, at least in the public space, it's taxpayer dollars supporting higher education. and And what are the outcomes that we're trying to help, you know, help create and produce for students? So, I mean, one thing that I think higher ed has done in a more innovative way to help is is linking experience to everything that we do inside the classroom. So the notion that, you know, you go to class, you learn material, or maybe you you um you know you engage with faculty in a classroom setting, but then outside of it there's not really any kind of growth that happens. We are are I think in higher ed making uh a concerted effort to ensure that students are connecting their in and out of class experience and getting connections and experience with industry, with corporations, in the healthcare space, in other areas so that at the very least, we can view our, no one wants to hear the word vocational. And I don't think that's what we're attempting to do in higher ed, but that we want students to build skill sets in terms of problem solving, critical thinking, writing communication skills so that when they go out into the workforce, they are well prepared so so i, I maybe maybe I'm, I'm of the mindset this optimist that you can have a little bit of both that that i like to think students go to college and as leaders where we are helping engage students in becoming active citizens they're civically engaged um, they understand what it means to live in a democracy and how they can contribute to that um so so i, I say certain things that are maybe um, just important things about being a human being i think are important that i don't want us to ever lose but that on the other hand, we also have to recognize these pressures of wanting students to be equipped to be able to enter the workforce. And you've probably seen some some articles that talk about it. I've seen some news pieces saying, there are jobs out there of which students are ill-equipped to enter, that they don't have the right skills. So we need to look at higher ed and say, what is it that we're not doing to provide the right students, right graduates, for fields that are seeking students with certain skills and then tap into those gaps and make sure we're, we're meeting that need. So, so I, I think it's a bit of both. It's, it's, it's higher ed staying to its core values of what it wants to be, but also responding to what the market is looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Rich? Yeah, wow. Incredibly articulate. Let me see. Beautifully expressed. I don't know where, where I want to begin. Um, great. A great explanation of so many things. And I think I'll actually ask the question I was probably going to begin with by saying, so these external pressures have um, catalyzed you and, and and Stony Brook and and all higher ed for that matter to uh, innovate to use our favorite word uh, against uncertain futures to to some extent. And the other thing I think I'm hearing and I'd love to hear what you think about this, uh, Rick, is uh, sort of a subliminal pre- uh, premise that you uh, suggested a couple of times, which is that, notwithstanding the fact that we I and mean, I agree with you, that we would like to think that Higher ed prepares students to be people, and to be well-rounded, uh, uh, grounded into their civic society and contributors uh, to a positive world. Notwithstanding that, the subliminal message seems to be, and maybe not from the school so much, but as a, as a re- obligation of the school to respond to, is um, we're going to school, we're going to, we're going to college to prepare ourselves to, forgive the term, get a job. Right, and 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 if the if we're really we're not about really preparing good citizens all that much. We're not about um, preparing good people and good problem solvers unless we need good problem solvers to work well in Google, and and that's uh, in my view that's unfortunate, but it's also clearly understood. And you made a point uh, way back when you began to talk about the thirty thousand feet uh, view. Mm-hmm. I love that point. So here's my question now, related to that: Are you up thirty thousand feet? I just saw a Science Channel presentation where they used Lodar to go over the Amazon, uh, uh, Amazon uh, River Basin. And they found all kinds of civilizations buried in the jungle that they never knew existed, pre-Columbian civilizations that were you know, very complex and only have been revealed from 30,000 up with the special machinery. And it's giving them a whole different interpretation of what the Amazon uh, rainforest uh, civilizations were about. So I come back to you as you're applying your LODAR of oh, 30,000 feet above higher education. What, what's out there in terms of the probable futures that align with your preferable futures?
2: Right. That's a, that's a great question. Right. Probable and preferable are two different things. Yes, they are, yeah. So, so maybe I'll expand a bit on this 30,000-foot view and, that, and being in a vice president role I mean, the good and the bad is that a lot of it comes down to issues of of your resources, both your your, you know, your people resource, your human resources and your financial resources. And obviously, you know, space and time is a factor in that. And um, I will. It's funny when I was was asked by my president about, you know, being in this vice president and then the dean of students role, which are which are really distinct roles. I said, one thing I like about it is is when you're number one and two, you don't fight with yourself. (laughs) So (laughs) I said, in a way, I can look at how to deploy resources that go directly to students. And that's an important part of, um, of of what we do. And I think higher ed needs to look at, too, is how do you spend every dollar to its maximum benefit? Because as we've seen in higher ed landscape now, too, there's a lot about outcomes assessment. How can we assess what we're doing to make sure it's making a positive impact? So When I look at, for example, at the 30,000 foot view, kind of the whole view of all the whole forest overall, I'm looking at are we are we putting money towards direct student support? Is it something that's measurable? And do we is there real value? Like, how does it connect to our strategic plan as a division about making sure it's connecting everything we do to, to to student success? So, so those are the critical pieces. And then obviously you've got the trees within the forest that you look at, kind of you know you take the the the, the lens a much more close up look at something and figure out is something really working. The the, you know, the 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 one challenge, and this is the next another external pressure piece that I think is is a challenge from a resource standpoint is. I know there are pressure on our resources where, and I, it's challenging to, to to look at higher ed in that. So so in a, so in it, we're a traditional school in that we're getting mostly 17, 18, 19-year-olds. Yes, we have some adult learners, some non-traditional students, but the majority are the traditional age students. And, men, and at Stonberg, we're 50% residential, so we have about 10,500 students who live on campus. The challenge is that many of our entering students, and there's been a lot written in the New York Times and other, other uh, pieces about this, is the entry in college, you can kind of look at them today, from where they are today to where they were 30 years ago, and you know, and for good or for bad, you know, social media and and um, you know, student mental health issues and and other issues. Just in terms of the generation of students, the millennials that we have in our environment, how do we make sure that that they are. Uh, you know, being educated in a way that they can leave the university and with a degree in hand and actually have the skills to be successful in life. And I think, you know, my colleagues and I have talked a lot recently about higher ed being put upon in terms of a lot of pressures. I'm going to argue to kind of cure the ills of society and that and that the issues that students are entering with are ones that, that, that A, require quite an investment of resources. And not that you don't want to do it, but But for example, in the mental health arena for colleges, very expensive proposition to provide that. Even when I was, you know, in in K twelve, you know, things have changed dramatically with social workers and and a much more, you know, counseling and supportive students in the college arena. This has has become a much larger issue of providing support to students. Higher ed has become a more open space for students with with mental health concerns, and that's and that's fine. We want to embrace students. But it, it's a very costly proposition to do that, and so the question is: To what degree, you know, where does higher ed begin its responsibility, and where does it end? So, to your to your question, Rich, about just in terms of what what I what I would like it to be, and what I think it's going to be, um, we have to have you know maybe it's a maybe the word's compromise. There's got to be a meeting, you know, of the minds, and somewhere in the middle, because. Some of again from a, from a from a money standpoint, there is only there are limits as to what you can do given the resources you have at your disposal. And so, so if you're trying to impact the largest number of students, that's what I look at. How do you impact the largest number? Um, sometimes it's hard when you look at a budget and realize you're devoting a quite a high percentage of money to a small population of students um, when you know you're trying to do so many other things on a list to you know help achieve a whole another set of goals.
1: Yeah, nice frame. So you, I'm sorry.
2: Take it up again
1: I'm sorry yeah
0: yeah he's uh, he, it's he's his, his voice is a little sure.
1: yeah, probable futures are, are, are resources which makes sense of course and I think I'm hearing you say your preferable future is to intervene with uh, uh, the need the social emotional uh, needs of students who uh, health has a lot to do with not only their own particular issues, but maybe other folks as well. And that's right. difficult to decide uh, who goes on the kidney machine, who doesn't.
2: Right. Well, and, and even one, one example that I – and it's, it's so challenging because I always look back. Again, you, you relate back to your own experience. And when I was in college, I know that there were mentors and people to support. When you went through a rough time, and I, I share at Stony Brook, for example, when I talk to new students and family members, when you get that first – Paperback, you know. And my first grade, my first grade, and my first English paper in college was a "Please see me." <laughs> it was the low, like this really low grade. A "Please see me," and it was, and I, I thought I knew how to write. And so it's, and I said to students, you know, sometimes this is a punch in the gut where you felt like hmm. I thought I was good in this, and you realize it's a reality check. But what's interesting is what's been written a lot about lately, and I feel this very true at Stony Brook. It's it's a matter of students developing the appropriate coping skills when they are faced with a challenge so whether it is you know i poor grade on a test or or a, they don't have a sense of belonging or that they're uh you know they're trying to identify you know build their own identity these pieces are critical and this is part of what college is i mean it's it, there's a maturing process that we want students to engage in that happens in college but there's a lot written about that even the basic daily tasks that when you face challenges in life, that this this idea of resiliency and that you have this kind of grit and determination that a lot of students are lacking that nowadays entering college that once had that. So again, one of my challenges is always, how do I help build that strength within students without necessarily saying that every single student has their own private therapist? Because that really has become a challenge for us of making sure and how do we build that community of support for students? And maybe some of it too, is, is it parental? Is it societal? Is it peer pressures? There's a lot of things going on in our world today um, that I think put plays a lot of challenges on students. Um, so-